Sometimes, my friends, you got to take one for the team. You know what I mean? <laughs> so for a little while now, uh, in so as taking one for the team, <laughs> I have been using a Chromebook of all things. Um, and this has been, let me tell you, this has been an interesting experience. <laughs> uh, obviously, fuck Google. If we got to get that out of the way, let's get that out of the way. Um, I think it'd be interesting to do this review before the uh, October 9th event, uh, which is coming up where Google is probably going to release a bunch of new hardware. Uh, and that new hardware actually does include, uh, apparently, new new Chromebooks. Or, more specifically, first implementations in a very real sense of their dream of... I mean, there's been the Pixelbook before, but apparently these new Pixelbooks, or what I think their code names are like Nocturna or Nocturnal, and then there's another one, but where you're going to really see the fruition of this mixture between Android and Chromebooks uh, and so much more. So that's that's something to be expected coming again October 9th, uh, apparently. So, But I think it's important to talk about the state of where Chromebooks are right now. Um, Chromebooks have... In, and this is going to be a Chromebook review. This is a review of the Chromebook that I have been uh, using, specifically the Acer Chromebook 15 CB515. Um, I don't know if they're, you know, what their next iteration of the Chromebook 15 is going to be. Acer has a new Chromebook 13 coming out. Of course, 15 means that it has a 15 inch screen, 13, I assume, would mean that it has a 13 inch screen, and so on. Um, we'll, we'll get into a review of that, but let's, let's talk a little bit about Chromebooks first off. So Chromebooks have become significantly more interesting in 2018, um, more so than they ever have been. Now, years ago, when I was, as I kind of self-described, as, as a Google fanboy, um, and I mean, we're talking many years ago, um, I did use a Chromebook very much as my daily driver. At the time, you know, to give a little perspective, at the time, the work that I was doing largely could be done in a web browser. Um, and I actually really liked the lack of multitasking that Chromebooks allowed for at the time, it kind of limited me and kept me centered and focused on the task at hand. Um, also at the time when I, cause I was doing sovereign tech at the time, at the time I was, you know, like I was recording in Stephanie's studio as compared to in the BDSM studio, which I'm in now. Um, but I was recording in Stephanie's studio. And so I didn't need a computer that could, you know, that, that could, that could handle a podcast that could, that could record a podcast because Chromebooks couldn't do that at the time. Can they now? Well, we're going to talk about that. Um, but you know, with, with that in mind, you know, I could get away with using effectively a thin client, which is really what Chromebooks have been for the past few years since they initially came out. They've really just been a reintroduction of what's known in the computing world as the thin client. Now, thin client, uh, as compared to perhaps full client, thin client means that it is a computer effectively designed to interact with other servers. It is not a computer designed to interact independent or designed to be used independently. Okay, it is meant to connect to some other computer somewhere else. Uh, now they call it the cloud, but in the 70s and 80s, it was servers. Okay, and so not a new Chromebooks are far from a new idea. Um, in fact, they're becoming they're becoming a very old idea. Um, and this Acer Chromebook 15, again, this is the latest Chromebook 15 uh, that had that has come out, um, is is kind of pointing at that even even more. Um, 
So, but what's made Chromebooks more interesting throughout 2018 is now there is more widespread uh, implementation, you know, in the stable channels. Because with Chromebooks, you have obviously they're running Chrome OS. Okay, we all know this story. But Chrome OS has effectively three different flavors. There's the stable channel, okay, which is the perfectly stable version of Chrome. Then there's the beta channel where you can try out some of the later features, but it's still very much, it's still relatively stable. And then there is the, I guess what you would call the canary channel, which is the the developer channel where you're really getting the bleeding edge uh, capabilities of what Chrome OS and Chromebooks can do. But that comes at a cost of you might, you know, some kind of hardware issue might come up or software issue or something. It's not very stable and you don't want to use that as your daily driver. Obviously, because Chrome OS is effectively the Chrome web browser running as an entire operating system, this is very similar to, you know, what you can do with web browsers, right? Or even like Firefox. Firefox has Firefox beta or it has, what is it, Aurora? That that is or what they used to call Aurora, which was it's like uh, it's dev build where it's the bleeding edge features and so on. Um, personally, I think that it's foolhardy to run, you know, a, a Chromebook, like the one advantage that Chromebooks have, look, if you obviously Google can see everything, or I think it's obvious, maybe it's not explicitly stated, but I think it kind of is on a Chromebook, you know, Google can see everything that you do, you know? Uh, but as far as like, so, you know, you could say, well, it's not secure then. And if, if Google can see it, the NSA can see it. But as far as like having security away from everybody else that isn't Google or perhaps the U.S. government, uh, a Chromebook is arguably the most solid, the most secure operating system out there. Um, And I think that there's a valid there is still a valid argument for using a Chromebook. In fact, like even, you know, you could talk to a lot of security researchers and including myself, where if you ran a Chromebook in guest mode. Okay, and you were just using it with very anonymous information that didn't, you know, lead back to you in any way. Um, It's a very secure little computer to be running. You know, I I mean, it's the security aspects of Chromebooks are still impressive as fuck. Um, And that'll be that'll come up throughout this. So but I want I want to have the opening disclaimer. That way I don't have to say it every time that, yes, Google you know, can know what you're doing, just like Microsoft can do, say, with Windows 10. All right. Uh, where they could track telemetry, uh, you know, depending upon what kind of build you're using and, and, and all of that. OK. Uh, and, you know, once one of the tech giants has it is, you know, we are in a corporatist system and is it going to eventually can it end up to the U.S. government? Sure. OK, let's be clear on that. But outside of that, the security, you know, is brilliant. Um, just like it is with a lot of things that the tech giants have put out there, including Apple and others. So just saying that in the beginning that, you know, yeah, we could talk about how great the security is on a Chromebook, but let's be clear. The one thing it's not secure from is Google and thus by default, the NSA, um, at least not really, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's ways you can kind of mitigate and make it expensive for them to even see what you're doing on the thing. But, you know, ultimately like it's, you know, just like the Google Play Store is is a rootkit, you know, Chrome OS is effectively a rootkit into your into your digital life. Let's not, uh, you know, it, when it comes to Google and, and, and so on. So, let, you know, let's just be clear about that. So but I don't want to keep that from talking about, you know, really what's very interesting going on with Chromebooks throughout throughout 2018. Um, 
because they have gone from just being a thin client to where they are really becoming a full on traditional computer. There is a long running joke, I think, that, you know, if, if you say, oh, you know, what, what do you have for a computer? And you say you have a Chromebook. Oh, well, that's not a real computer. That's not true anymore. You can't you can't make that joke anymore because now Chromebooks throughout 2018, it has become more widespread again to a have the Google, the aforementioned Google Play Store on it and you can install Android apps almost all android apps not all i know that the claim is out there that you can run any android app on a chromebook that is not true there are certain apps that you cannot run on a chromebook um like and the google play store will keep you uh from running it which same thing happens with tablets there's some apps you can't run on tablets but you can run most that's true um we'll talk about that also, now, in the stable channels, okay, because, again, both of these features used to only be in either the dev or beta channels, but now in the stable channels, on a lot of Chromebooks, at least ones that are Intel-based uh, and others, you can run Linux apps. Like, you can open up a Linux ter- terminal, sudo app get, you know, LibreOffice, and away you go. And you have LibreOffice, or whatever's in the repository that the Chromebook uh, or the Chrome OS uh, terminal will go for. And both the beautiful and remarkable thing of this ability is that the apps themselves are run in a sandbox, uh, you know, the Google, the the Android apps and the uh, the Linux apps are run. Each app is run in its own little sandbox so that it's separate from the rest of the system. It's done very securely. I mean, this is, you know, and, and for such lightweight computers, because none of these have like, except for the Pixel books and maybe a couple others, most Chromebooks have really, really lightweight hardware. Uh, you know, in lightweight specs, okay? Like, they don't have the most impressive Intel processors, if they even have Intel processors. Uh, you know, sometimes they don't have the largest amount of RAM and everything. So for them to be able to pull that off, uh, you know, it's not necessarily virtualization, but in a way it is. I mean, that's it's pretty damned impressive uh, what these things can do. And it's doing it right. Um, now, that does come at a cost, okay? And it's a cost, again, that we will, we will get into um, throughout this. And... But bottom line being that I want to get out of the way here is that Chromebooks have totally evolved to something. I mean, they are very much real computers. I can say that I have been using one for a while now. Um, I mean, it's not my daily driver, you know, because, well, we'll talk about that. But bottom line being, these are absolutely real computers. Stop making fun of people for using Chromebooks. Now, I mean, if you want to, you know, pick on them because it's, you know, effectively, you know, a Google backdoor. Okay, fine. Rip on them about that. But stop saying that these things aren't real computers. They they most certainly are. And they're not thin clients anymore. They're just, they're not. They're, they're, they're really not thin clients anymore. They are, they are full-on traditional computers, and they're starting to come out with the specs to, you know, really to back um, that fact up. So the Chromebook, again, that we're, that we're specifically talking about, let's get into some of the specs here on this one. Again, this is the Acer Chromebook 15 CB5151HTP39B. That is the full uh, name of it. And it's running a Pent- Intel Pentium N4200, which is effectively a really low-end quad-core. Uh, has a 15-inch f- screen, which ha- it's uh, 1080p, and it is touchscreen. Um, the touchscreen is a very interesting aspect of this. Uh, 4 gig of RAM, and it has a 32-gig 32, 32 uh, flash hard drive uh, in it. The build quality of this, all right, it has two USB-C ports, two of them. One of the, so 
it does charge through USB-C, which there's an advantage to that. Uh, but it's nice that it has two ports because if one of them has to constantly, if one of them has to be used for charging, then you want two. That way you can hook up other USB-C devices. Um, so this is fairly future-proof as far as that goes. Um, and the nice thing is, is that if you have like a high enough uh, 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 voltage and milliampere. Um, uh, like anchor battery, you know, for charging your phone on the go. Uh, you could also charge this laptop, uh, which is really, really nice. Has 12 hours of battery life, and it gets about that. Like, I, I've been nothing less than amazed at the battery life that this thing gets. Um, not uncommon for an Acer device or, you know, for Acer hardware, but it really does deliver on that. Uh, it also has a backlit keyboard, which is very, very nice. And we're talking about a sub $300 laptop here. You know, price is important. Um, this is sub $300. I mean, honestly, with everything I just described, if you wanted to get one and you wanted to slap some version of Linux on it, not not just Chrome OS, which is effectively Linux-based, but if you really wanted to slap some, some serious Linux on it, uh, this would be a hell of a machine. You know, other than the 32 gig of storage is kind of... You know, it'd be nicer if it was 64. Hell, it'd be nicer if it was 128. It'd be nicer if it was one terabyte, wouldn't it? But that's not what we got here. Uh, it does have a micro SD card slot, and, you know, you could put a 128 gig micro SD card into it, and hopefully, you know, and, and that would help mitigate some of that storage, some of those sto- some of that storage concern. But this is one area um, that, that it really needs to evolve on, but I'm going to get, I'm going to talk about that more in a second. Um, it does have this, this laptop has some of the most impressive sound I've ever heard out of any any laptop. Okay. Uh, it has two huge, I mean, fairly good-sized speakers. Um, on each side, they're, they're forward-facing, and they're on each side of the keyboard. This is, a lar- this is a larger device, okay? I mean, again, it has a 15-inch screen, and it has a bezel. It's not like a bezel-less 15 where it feels like a 13. Um, this is a full 15-inch computer. Uh, but the, the sound that comes out of this thing is pretty damned impressive. Like, if you're watching Netflix or CBS All Access or something on this, uh, which, oh boy, that short trek. Short Trek started last night. Ooh, that was good. Um, I, I mean, you're really you're in for a treat when it comes to that. Um, I was very, very impressed. Uh, at, like that. That's one of its shining qualities. Uh, the the trackpad on it is good sized, but it feels kind of shitty. I, I've never really found an Acer device where I really like the trackpad on it. Um, it. But, you know, that's neither here nor there, or at least in this case. Uh, you, I mean, you can always connect a, a mouse. Of course, this has Bluetooth, I think, 4.2. Um, as far as that goes, it has a, what they call wireless AC or, you know, quick comment on that. Um, actually, the Wi-Fi Alliance has now decided to rebrand um, wireless nomenclature. OK, so what used to be what used to be called wireless N is now being called, I think, Wi-Fi 4. And what used to be called wireless AC, they're now calling Wi-Fi 5. I'm actually going to talk about this on this week's Sovereign Tech Prime episode. And what's now known as the next standard after AC, which is known as AX, I think they're calling that Wi-Fi 6. And this makes sense, partly because, or the only reason that I think that this is okay and that it makes sense, I mean, it still has the other technical terms too, but on the consumer-facing end, they're going to call it Wi-Fi 4, Wi-Fi 5, and Wi-Fi 6. The term wireless AC was really confusing because at the same time that that was getting developed, you were also trying to develop where, you know, you had inductive charging, right, for your smartphone where you didn't have to plug it in. You just put it on like a, uh, you know, you put it on on a charging base and it would just inductively charge. 
Okay. Like, you know, from, from the base right through to the phone, you never had to plug it in. And, or there was the technology getting worked out where there could be like effectively, I mean, it's pretty much inductive charging, but there could be a charging base that would literally without wires, like send out a charging signal, say you're sitting at a table or restaurant and would, and it would send out, um, well, voltage, I mean, to, to your to your, your phone, and it would just charge your phone while you were sitting at the table. Not from the table, but like literally it'd be, you know, current coming from the air that would be charging your device. And so when people would talk about wireless AC as in wireless alternating current, not as in wireless AC as in the Wi-Fi standard, uh, like I, 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 that got confusing with a lot of different stories. So A, I'm glad that we're going to wireless AX anyway, but B, I, I I think that this change in terms is helpful because, I mean, I don't know that it's going to help necessarily with what I just described. And, and nobody's ever really implemented the, you know, wireless alternating current as in wireless AC, uh, as far as I know, you know, in like in that restaurant setting. But that was something that was being explored and developed. Um, but anyway, so this has wireless AC as MIMO, which means that, you know, it uses um, uh, multiple signals to allow for faster internet. I mean, all of which is pretty impressive. It has two USB three ports, um, and, or 3.1 or yeah, 3.0 ports, whatever. Uh, and it has a headphone jack. So, I mean, this is, you know, this has a lot of really great ports. It does not have HDMI. That is the one thing maybe that people would feel that it's missing, but you can connect, you can get a connector and plug in anything pretty much into USB-C. And then that can give you your, um, you know, that can give you your HDMI cord if you need it. And I messed with that. I hooked up external monitors to it and it handled it with a plum. Like Chromebook has no problem handling, um, you know, multiple monitors, uh, when you plug them in, say to, to a laptop. Um, so that's, that's the tail of the tape. Uh, I mean, yeah. And it has a webcam that's, you know, fairly shitty quality, but regardless, you know, I mean, again, that's, that's, that's pretty much the specs here, uh, going forward. So you understand what that is. And this is, I would call this, I mean, it's not a pixel book, but this is fairly high end for a Chromebook. Like this is fairly high end specs, uh, for something in this class. And, and, pretty standard specs, I think, for something in its price range, too. Again, we're talking about what you can get now for sub $300. Um, I think at, you know, new, maybe it was like at 350 or so. Um, even that's not a crazy price necessarily for what you're getting here. Um, and I mean, part of the reason that they can sell it so low is that they don't have to pay the licensing fees to, or they don't, they, you know, it's, it's pennies compared to the licensing fees you'd have to pay for a full-on Windows 10 computer. Okay. Uh, now, so all of that said, let's start talking about the actual usability of this. And really it comes down to, so the hardware is fine. In fact, actually, I mean, this is like an aluminum block of a computer. Like this really matches and looks just about as good as any MacBook out there that you can imagine. Um, so this is very, again, very, very high end. Uh, or not very high end, but this is very well produced. I mean, this is a very nice computer for what it is. I mean, very, very nice. You know, it's not really all that plastic or anything like that. So usability software, um, not, not, a, I mean, there's been, you know, there's material redesign and UI redesign and all that, blah, 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 blah. Not a whole lot has changed from when I was using, boy, I forget the model. It was one of the original Acers that came out and it was just one of those like 12 inch or, you know, 11 inch jobs. Um, that Acer would, would put out there were like 200 bucks, but not a lot has changed as far as like overall function and UI, um, of Chrome OS over the years. And again, that was probably four or five years ago now. Um, 
you know, I mean, it's it's still pretty standard fare. You know, you, you have your icons on, along the bottom in the taskbar and so on. Um, even the wallpaper selector looks exactly the same that it did four or five years ago. So no real shifts in that. Um, the way that you control, you know, power and settings and a lot of this other stuff, all all is pretty much the same and very easy to get to. Uh, one of the nice things about Chromebooks is that because it is an entirely new operating system with, you know, in, in some ways, a new way of thinking, even though now, like I said, it's going back to being, you know, a traditional uh, PC in a very real way. Uh, the nice thing is, is that there's a lot they got rid of a lot of unnecessary keys or they would reassign keys on the keyboard to do things that a modern computer or that the modern person does with a modern computer. OK, like you don't uh, you don't really have caps lock. I think that that's totally valid to not have caps lock. Uh, I can barely think of the time that I ever even fucking use caps lock. You know, <laughs> it's just it's not a, it's just not a thing. Um, and in its place, they put a search button, which also doubles as effectively like the window key or the Apple key or the you know Ubuntu key or whatever. Uh, and it has very similar commands. You know, if you hit search L, that that locks your Chromebook and so on. Um, and along the top row, there's no function keys. It's which this could lend to maybe why it's not the best Linux computer, because you don't have a full keyboard, uh, you know, where you could take advantage of what those kind of commands and functions do within uh, a Linux, an actual Linux environment or a more serious Linux environment, I should say. Um, you know, the, the top row just has a bunch of different, you know, I mean, and a lot of laptop manufacturers are doing this now where the function key or, you know, F1, F2, F3, and whatever, well, actually, you have to hit the, you have to hit a specific key to activate F1, F2, F3, and everything else really just controls, say, volume, brightness of the screen, you know, whether or not Bluetooth is activated, and so on. Uh, but, yeah, I do like that Chromebooks have kind of gotten away from a lot of, well, a lot of keys that just most people will never use. Now, if I want those keys and I want all of that, well, obviously, I'm not going to fucking buy a Chromebook, you know, <laughs> so so it knows its market. And I think that that's OK. Um, and, and I really appreciate that. And a lot of the simplicity of the keyboard commands um, that, you know, because, I mean, there's a lot of things missing here. Like there's no delete key. There's there's a bunch of different ones. But you just hit alt backspace and that does delete. I mean, it's very it's it's impressive just how much thought went into uh, key combinations and how much you can do with the keyboard in a Chromebook, regardless of the lack of a lot of these traditional key sets that the average keyboard has. Um, but that works very well. I, I'm going to give them credit for that. And it's very intuitive and it makes sense uh, what you're, you know, what key commands you're putting in way more sense than what Windows does with Windows 10. You know, like Wind X, Windows key X like that. I mean, there's so many things. That, again, they just don't make any goddamn sense. Um, so I, I can respect that and I can appreciate that. Uh, you know, the web browser, I mean, now it, it's there was a time where a lot of apps would like take up full screen and just be completely full screen if you ran them in Chrome OS. That's no longer true. These are full on multitasking machines now. Um, and it's important to note that Chromebooks specifically and only Chromebooks um, still run Chrome apps, not just Chrome extensions, but Chrome apps. But we'll talk about kind of the validity around that um, in a minute here. So uh, Chrome, you know, Chrome works. The, the web browser itself works just like Chrome works brilliantly, you know, and I mean, 
you know, is it the most secure? Is it the most private thing in the world? Of course not. Um, but it, it, it does its job and it, and it works very, very well um, as far as that goes. So it's just like using Chrome anywhere else. Not a whole lot necessarily to say about that. We're already like 20 minutes in. So I, I want to kind of I want to get into the meat of all this. Um, the point that I think is is really what we need to get into here is the reason that I wanted to try out a Chromebook again. And that is the Android apps, running Android apps and running Linux software or running, you know, Linux applications. That's what this is all about because, you know, saying that because I couldn't get like some of the things, okay, I hear that Chromebooks can do this now. Oh, Chromebooks can run Android apps. Oh, Chromebooks can run Linux apps. You know, Chromebooks can do this. Okay. And then you go to look online. All right. Well, can it run audacity, you know, to do podcasts with, um, can it run this game? Can it do this? Can it do that? Blah, blah, you know, and you can't find like, no, I don't know. Most people just don't seem to have an answer for it. And to some degree that makes sense because like, Power users generally aren't going to use a Chromebook. So why would you know? Why would you be able to find out if someone can do that sort of thing when, you know, the average person that does that sort of thing wouldn't use a Chromebook in the first place? But I wanted to know because, I mean, just out of my own curiosity, uh, for one thing. And another thing, I mean, if, you know, if you end up traveling pretty good, I mean, one of the valid use cases for a Chromebook is if you travel because you can completely log out of the thing and then log, you know, and go through customs and go through, you know, whatever you need to go through to get into another country. And then you could re-log in when you, when you, you know, once you're in the country, right? Uh, just to kind of, you know, mitigate and avoid all that hassle. So, I mean, there's really, and, and it, again, outside of Google and maybe certain governments, it is a very secure platform. Yeah. I mean, it's a super secure platform. So it's a fine thing to take with you when you're traveling. I mean, it really is. Uh, and, and that, that was also something that I wanted to, you know, test, uh, out. And, but of course, you know, the first thing for me is, is that my life, I mean, I, I have work outside of this, of course, uh, you know, that very much pays the bills, but, my life is very much my show. You know, my podcast is is everything to me. And so can this, can I record a podcast on a Chromebook? Well, I guess that'll lead us into talking about Linux apps first, because really Android is not at the point where you can, I mean, there's some apps out there for Android that would effectively allow you to record a podcast, but not really. And, it, and there's certainly, there isn't as elegant as a solution as say like how iPhone has, you know, has GarageBand, you know, iOS has GarageBand and that's a brilliant, I mean, that that's great software, you know, to record a podcast on Android doesn't have a real corollary to that. Okay. So Android apps, we're not going to allow for this. So let's talk about running Linux apps first and foremost on this. Um, again, Linux app capability, it is a, it is a setting. I think it's normally on now, um, but not every Chromebook can do it. Okay. And, but it is in the stable channel now. Now, I, I actually, no, I think I, I did have to turn, there was a switch that I had to effectively flip to allow for Linux. And what it really did was, is it gave you access to the terminal um, when you did that. And, you know, it, it's it's a pretty standard Linux terminal, it uses sudo commands and so on. Uh, and, you know, the first thing you're going to do as soon as you get the terminal, you know, sudo app get update and, and away you go. You know, you, it's off to the races as far as that goes. Now, you can install through the terminal or if it's a deb package, okay, if it's a Debian package, you can you can download that and you can actually just you, you put it into. So in the file explorer for Chrome OS, you will have a, you know, your Chrome OS's 
effectively environment okay that you have access to and again this is all within the 32 gigs of storage that this acer chromebook 15 has then underneath that there will be uh it's android files and that or play files and then under that will be linux files okay and so in in the file explorer itself and it does have a traditional file explorer you you have three different environments that you're dealing with the chromebook itself android you know, or, you know, Android apps and Linux apps. Okay. Now, if you, if you download a dev package, okay, say for VLC or audacity or whatever, and you drag it into the Linux apps part, uh, you know, partition on, on the, I mean, and it's all, it's all very self-explanatory. Like they've made it pretty, it's about as easy as I think it can get. It might sound complicated, but it's, it's not at all. Um, and you can then right click within the file explorer. You can right click on the dev package and say install Linux app and it'll do it for you automatically. You don't have to go through the terminal. Sometimes, though, you do have to go through the terminal um, like I had trouble. So LibreOffice is up to LibreOffice six. I downloaded the dev package for that, but it didn't seem to like it like it, it didn't really want to work. But when I went through the terminal and I just did, you know, sudo app get LibreOffice, it installed LibreOffice five. So I'm not sure what, uh, you know, what repository that that Chrome Chrome OS is pull, pulling from. But that worked great. And, and LibreOffice works like a dream on this thing. Uh, and it's not, why would you have LibreOffice when you have Google Docs? Well, obviously, you know, it's great offline functionality and it's independent of Google Docs. I think that's a fine thing to have. It was one of the first pieces of software that I installed um, on, you know, on, on this Chromebook. Uh, and again, it and it works great. I mean, it really, really works great. And it's very handy to have a, a full featured independent, uh, particularly LibreOffice's, you know, Word or Libra, whatever they call it, Libra Word, whatever. Uh, it, it's really handy to have that. Like you don't realize it until you need it. And and yeah, that if it couldn't even do that, this all would have been bullshit. Um, but again, the main thing I wanted to run was, you know, was Audacity. Audacity does not, even if you get a dev package, Audacity does not work, okay, running it as a Linux app. That doesn't mean I wasn't able to get Audacity to work. I did, but we're going to talk about that because there's kind of a middle ground here that you can, uh, that you can take advantage of. So, um, so yeah, LibreOffice installed fine. I was actually able to install Steam just by downloading the dev package of Steam for, you know, for Ubuntu and uh, Steam works well. N- not not every game that I tried installing through Steam worked like with the control scheme. Um, you know, like there was okay, it could kind of work with the keyboard and mouse, but it wouldn't recognize. Say, if I plugged in the Duke, you know, I plugged in a controller, um, a USB controller of some kind, it wouldn't recognize it. Um, also, it wouldn't. It didn't do a good job of recognizing even. Uh, controllers that I have, Bluetooth controllers that are specifically designed for Android. Um, it wouldn't, it, which should be work with Chrome OS. It, it did not, it didn't always recognize those very well. So gaming is no pun intended touch and go because the touchscreen might work fine for you, but using a touchscreen on this thing is, or using any touchscreen on a laptop personally, I think is a pain in the ass. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you really, you look like a zombie when you're messing with it. And, and, and I think that that's just really inefficient. Um, I mean, and t- there's time where I'm glad the touchscreen is there. We'll get into those. But, 
Yeah. So because of the sandbox nature, I think, of running a lot of these different, you know, running Linux apps specifically, uh, the apps are do not interact well with the rest of the operating system. And in fact, this is kind of point one against it. And I'm hopefully they can somehow fix this in the future. But on a secure on a security standpoint, you almost don't want them to. So you only have 32 gig of storage, right? So you're, you're kind of limited in how much you can install on this thing. And you really are, especially when you start installing, you know, full featured Linux apps. Those Linux apps in general cannot access, say you put in 128 gig micro SD card to mitigate, you know, to make up for the lack of storage space. It generally cannot access that. You cannot access the apps from, say, like you associated, for example, with Audacity, like an AUP file with what's you know, with say Audacity, if you got Audacity installed as a Linux app, again, that didn't exactly work. Um, there, there's, you know, they're not going to recognize, they're not going to see each other because they're in completely different, you know, segments of of the operating system. So that's a really, that's a bit of a problem. Okay, is that you can't, or like, say you wanted, to, like, I uh, was it Music Brains Picard? That's a um, that's really great MP3 tagging software. Uh, that's that's a, that's available for Linux. I think it's on a bunch of operating systems, but but that's it's handy. I installed that as a Linux app, and uh, I had to put the MP3 files into a folder that Music Brains could recognize. I could not just leave them on my micro SD card for that to work. That sucks. Okay, because I mean, unless you're getting a Pixelbook or some other high-end Chromebook that has like 128 gig or even 512 gig or something, you know, that has a significantly larger hard drive, this runs into a problem because say you wanted to tag a ton of music, not happening, right? I mean, I mean, like because you'd have to store it onto, the, you know, the uh, the hard drive, the storage within the device within the Chromebook itself, but you might not have enough room to do that, so that becomes a pain in the ass. So there, it's not. You know, while the Linux apps that I was able to install worked pretty well. In fact, LibreOffice, like I said, worked great. I mean, granted, it's just a word processor, but still, um, even though these things work, you, you know, there are there are limitations to to how how much you can do with that and how far that that can go that make it more of a bonus than as a like a full feature and, and, and a, an advantage really to using it. It feels more like a bonus than anything else. Um, now, a lot of Linux apps would not work. There is a very, very small selection of ones that would. Um, Audacity did not. Now, how did I solve that? Well, this, the Acer Chromebook 15 came with the, uh, you know, came with the Google Play Store already installed, uh, you know, and ready to go and ready to use. And this is where things get really interesting. So Linux app functionality, it's there. And it's nice, but you kind of treat it as a bonus. It's it's not an afterthought, and it's probably going to get better over time. But right now, it's pretty limited functionality, even though it is in the stable channel. Again, maybe that'll evolve over time. We'll see. Um, now, with the Google Play Store, this is where things get really interesting. And this is where I think that, that a Chromebook becomes genuinely attractive. And the first part is, is I'm going to talk about something in between Linux app functionality and, you know, having Android apps. There is an app called Crossover, okay? Now, this is available for full-on Linux distros. It's available for macOS. It's available for a lot of different platforms. But Crossover is a effectively a Wine, a Windows emulation environment, okay, that, will allow, that allows you to run Windows apps or Windows software 
within whatever operating system you happen to be using. Now, they, the company that makes Crossover specifically released a version in the Google Play Store knowing that it would be used on Chrome OS. Like, they were fully cognizant and aware of this. And it's one of where a lot of Android apps can come out looking very funny and may not work very well within a Chromebook or a Chrome OS environment right now anyway, or at least as it stands. Um, Crossover works like a dream, and it is the most native-looking Android app that I had installed. Um, and what it allowed for is, yes, for me to run some Windows software, not all, but it did let me run Audacity. And it ran, it runs Audacity fairly well, though Audacity sometimes will crash on bigger projects. Like I was editing, um, not my podcast, but another podcast. I was editing it and it was about an hour in length. And eventually I, I had to stop because I mean, and, and I'm talking about, I was doing like really knee deep full editing. If it was an episode of Sovereign Tech, I usually don't edit those much. It probably wouldn't have been an issue. Okay. But if you're doing like really serious editing, Audacity takes up a lot of it can take up a lot of resources, you know, a lot of hard drive space and a lot of other resources. And the Chromebook did not like that. And partly I don't think it's because the Chromebook has, you know, I, I think plenty of, of guts to run uh, Audacity. I don't think it's that I think crossover maybe had problems with memory management. And so, you know, Audacity would would crash here and there. Um, I did record some podcasts with it, so it seemed to be able to handle recording uh, that. But that's that's really something to be aware of. Um, but I, I think overall that 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 worked. It was more when I was editing that it was kind of an issue and I can understand why. Um, but, yeah, I was able to, you know, download the the exe file, you know, download the exe of for audacity and boom, you know, the latest version of audacity. I had it running on a Chromebook. But again, I'm running a Windows version of audacity i'm not even running the linux version and for some people you know that might be seen as as anathema you know to to them to to even do that um as to where they might find chrome os slightly more palatable because it's linux based you know and just because they want to get out of the the microsoft ecosystem and so on um you're still effectively using windows software here to do some some not basic things but to do some things that i think a lot of people want to do with their computers such as audio work so that (sighs) Yeah, you know, considering that that Google is kind of hot on podcasts right now, and they are, you'd think that they would do something to like like it can't be hard for them to come out with some kind of audio editing software, like their own version of GarageBand that they could put out on a Chrome OS. I think if they did that, these would become more even more interesting. But yes, you can run Audacity on it. Uh, What crossover can run is kind of limited. There are things that I want. Apparently, you can install Steam with it, you know, but again, you can do that with the dev package. You don't need to do that through crossover. Um, There are some pieces of software that I tried to run through. Well, there's a couple things, actually. So I tried to run some of this as a Linux app, and I tried to run it as a as a crossover app, you know, a Windows app, and it didn't work either way. For example, um, Trezor, okay, Trezor, as in the Bitcoin hardware wallets, uh, the Trezor Bridge software. Now there is a Chrome OS version of that. Here, here's the problem: is that some of you know some software like that requires you to. Um, you know, requires you to, to allow for functionality between the software itself, as in Trezor Bridge, and say your web browser, right? That's how Trezor kind of does its business. So I tried to get that to work because if, if that wouldn't fly, I mean, that 
there's no way that Chrome OS could ever be my daily driver. Um, and I mean, and there's a whole slew of concerns that you could have around, you know, using a hardware wallet with something that Google is obviously, you know, so knee deep in. But that's that's another conversation. OK, um, th- that I disclaimed earlier. So but that that just didn't work and it didn't work either. I tried it as the dev package and it didn't work and it didn't work as a, you know, as a Windows um, XE. OK, and I and I think the reason why is that these apps are all being run sandbox. So they're designed to not communicate communicate with the web browser as a matter of security okay so just like where you know it doesn't interact with say your micro sd card that's also a matter of security in fact we've run we've learned about this that the fact that android itself not chrome os but that android lets you access a micro sd card lets you access external storage that is potentially an exploit uh that's been talked about i think it was either at black hat or defcon that that was illustrated this year um so you know again for security's sake yeah you lose a lot of this cross functionality okay and trezor bridge just didn't work now you could say that there's a chrome extension for trezor but that that doesn't really function very well either. And uh, I, I mean, I, I see this almost as a good thing, but I'm just letting you know that if you're hoping for that, that's not really possible. Um, speaking of apps and extensions for Chrome itself that are native to Chrome OS, uh, Signal. Signal ha- is still updated to some degree as a Chrome app, even though, again, it's an independent app now for all other operating systems. Um, but it seems quite quite a few features back like it seems like quite a few versions back um it's very easy to just install the deb package of signal desktop and it works beautifully i mean it works like an absolute dream um on there so you can run signal you know on on chrome os very very easily and i imagine you could have also run it if you needed to do it through the xe through using crossover you could have done that um yeah so crossover allowing you to run some windows software is very handy I mean, it's very, very handy, but because of the because of the sandbox nature of it within Chrome OS, you know, there's some functionality that you're not going to get and it. And it almost makes it impractical. Um, like it is very tough after you install the Google Play apps that you want, after you install some of the Linux software that you want and some perhaps some of the Windows software you want on Chrome OS with a with a, a Chromebook that only has 32 gig of storage. Um, you run out of storage pretty fast. And then it also becomes impractical to try and record a podcast on it because the temp files for a podcast can run anywhere from two to nine gigabytes and that might be all you have left you know after all is said and done and again you can't take advantage of because of the secure nature of it you can't take advantage of the uh, micro sd card you know of the extra storage that you put in like that it's just not going to happen and you can't install apps to the micro sd card either again not going to happen so you do run into some some practical concerns um, as far as that goes so crossover is an interesting aspect of this not only i mean basically what we're getting at here is you can run some Linux apps, but you can run Linux apps. You can run some Windows software, but you can run Windows software. And you can you can more natively run Android apps in Chrome OS. And then you can do whatever Chrome OS offers. Um, this is, I mean, that's what makes this, this is why I wanted to test it, because this makes this a very attractive package. You know, this makes this a very attractive option, because you can run so much different software you know, with very little work. I mean, it's it's not native, but it's not far off from that. Now, real quick with crossover, you get like a free trial for however long you do eventually have to pay for crossover. And I think you know it's not the it's not the cheapest software. I mean, it's not a hundred bucks, 
but it's, I don't know, 40 something. I forget how much they said it was. Um, I'm not really going to continue on with this, so I'm not going to buy it. But, you know, you do eventually have to uh, you do have to buy it. I mean, maybe I'd end up buying it so I could run Windows software on, you know, on an Android phone. But I'd need to be using an Android phone where I thought that it had enough balls to even bother. But let's get to the meat of the whole deal here. okay? and that is like, you know, crossover is an Android app. Let's talk about running Android apps. You get the full Google Play Store in this. Um, Obviously, it's able to take advantage because this is a desktop environment. It gets to take advantage of certain apps and certain abilities that were developed more for Android tablets to make it look somewhat better um, on a, you know, again, in a desktop environment. Um, And this works very well. The Google Play Store, it's just like you know and potentially love it, though probably not, uh, you know, on your Android smartphone or Android tablet. Um, Having the touchscreen is very handy as far as this goes on the laptop because there are some functions that just don't seem to translate well to a touchpad or, you know, a trackpad or, or, yeah, touchpad or mouse. Um, Even though they're supposed to work, they don't exactly work the best all the time. And so having a touchscreen where you can do what you need to with touch uh, is is very handy. Um, But, yeah, you can install, I mean, most of the mainstream mainstream apps that you can think of, you can install onto your Chromebook. Um, I mean, and I installed quite a bit. Uh, and, and it does, it does get interesting. Um, like you can install, you know, telegram, even though there's a Chrome OS app for telegram, um, you can install telegram and, and maybe you don't want to install the Chrome OS version of telegram because the desktop version of telegram, there is an issue with IP leaking, right? Even though it's not as bad as the, as the media was claiming, but regardless, maybe you want the full featured secret chat, blah, 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 you know, uh, version of the, you know, mobile app. Uh, you can run that here. Um, I suppose you could also run, I didn't try this because you have to, you know, I didn't have an available phone number to give it a shot. I suppose you could run the signal app. It installs. And so, you know, you could run signal like the, the actual signal app in a desktop environment. That gets interesting. Um, you know, I installed Pandora. Pandora actually works really well because of its uh, the the way that its tablet features uh, make it look really nice. Um, you, so you can run the mobile app of, of Pandora. That's cool. Instagram. This gets interesting, right? Because now you could do, you know, you could defend effectively. And I've talked about this years ago, actually, on Sovereign Tech. You could turn Instagram into a blogging platform, right? Where, you know, now you could you could actually edit and, you know, because you can install Pixlr maybe, you know, as your as your photo editor um, on this from the Google Play Store. Again, we're talking all Android apps right now. But you could run Instagram natively and, uh, you know, you could you could upload say pictures that you edit and do a lot of professional work with or even videos or something from Chrome OS and then you could type out a really long screed on it and you're not using a touchscreen keyboard to do it anymore you're using a full keyboard um, so Instagram running natively very interesting aspect of this um, maybe one of the most interesting aspects of what you can do you know with a, with a Chromebook even though I know if you have a Windows 10 computer that has a touchscreen you can also upload video and photos to the the Windows 10 UWP app, um, but the UWP app on Windows 10 is behind on a lot of features. As to where this, you're getting the full-on, you know, premier mobile app. Um, it makes it very interesting, uh, you know, and, and the update process is just like you do on your regular Android phone, you know, where you go to the Google Play Store, you go to my my apps and you click update and it'll update all of them. Um, you can, I mean, man, like this is just, you know, you can uh, install Line Messenger. You Again, you can install your favorite, uh, you know, music playing software, um, whatever. I mean, there, there's a 
lot of options. Uh, you know, you can install uh, T-Torrent Plus and you can do torrents through it, even though you could. There was like JS Torrent and you can in, you can actually install Transmission, um, you know, the, the, the very popular Linux torrent client. You can install that through through the terminal, um, you know, if, if you really want to. But you can run T-Torrent Plus and it can do torrents, um, which is pretty cool. But again, you have limited storage, so it depends on what you're actually going to be torrenting. Um, the the other interesting thing is that the Chrome web browser, when it detects something that maybe should use some kind of Android app, it will it gives you a little pop up that says, "Would you like to open this with this app?" Uh, which that's that's kind of cool too. Like that's that's a very nice little feature. So Android app functionality with Chrome OS is definitely a premier selling point, and Google knows it, and they're working with it. Um, one of the nicest things that this computer could really do is uh, Moon Moon Reader Plus. Um, that's what I use to usually read comic books on, say, an Android tablet or on my smartphone, um, which I, I think is, I mean, and it works, and, and to read PDFs and everything, it works really well. Um, I could install that, and reading comic books on this screen, it has a 1080p IPS screen, you know, in 15 inches, is really a joy. I mean, I'll admit that. that That is really, really nice. But speaking of reading, you could also install the Kindle app. And that works well. Uh, if you want to listen to audiobooks, you can install, you know, the Audible, the full-on Audible app. I know there's one for Windows 10. There's the UWP app. But regardless, uh, that's a great experience on here. Um, there's also, you, you know, you can install Smart Audiobook Player. And, you know, independently have, again, you're going to have to, actually, Smart Audiobook Player might have been able to access the micro SD card. No, no, I mean. Maybe it couldn't, but again, you run into that issue where you'd have to have all those audiobooks installed onto or, you know, downloaded onto the actual, you know, 32 gig of storage, which isn't much Um, as to where like, you know, with my Moto E4, I use smart audiobook player to listen to my audiobooks that I don't get from Audible. And I mean, I can just put I can put tons of them, you know, on a 128 gig SD card and Android can access them. Chrome OS, that's not true. So, you know, and then Pocket Casts, even though Pocket Casts is a great web, uh, you know, web interface and web version of itself that you can use if you pay like nine bucks, which I've done that, uh, you know, but you can run Pocket Pocket Casts natively. I mean, this this gets and it's it is shocking just how well it does work. And so most of the Android apps that I think you'd want to use um, you can run on this and having it with full keyboard and mouse functionality, or if you really need it, you do have touch with the touch screen. Um, I mean, that really opens a lot of possibilities and gives you a great, if not, if not a great, you know, uh, computing experience, it is a great consumption experience. Uh, as to where, like, if this is how you want to take in content, that's really the best thing about it. And it's really great to really interact with the content when you have a full-on computer running it and it's not just on your smartphone. In fact, you really come to the realization of just how piss-poor an interactive experience smartphones and tablets are when you finally run a lot of these apps and take advantage of what these apps can do on a full-on computer, you know, on a laptop. Um, I mean, that really comes comes to head. And I've known this for a while and I've talked about it on the show. But I mean, you really notice it when you're running it on a Chromebook. But not every app works the best and not every app is installable. Again, let, let's let's really, really make that clear. Um, and and also, again, these apps are all sandboxed, so they don't interact the best with the rest of the operating system. And also, they may not interact the best with what you, you know, say, like 
any any devices like if you like I mentioned at the beginning of the show when you plug in certain controllers you know uh, certain game pads they don't work often enough with like say the Android games that you can install and you can install Android games uh, I installed uh, like Dragon Quest V and it was a Hand of the Heavenly Bride I installed that and here's what sucked is like almost nothing except for the touchscreen worked with that. And that was one of the things, I mean, again, my first and most important thing that I need to be able to do with the computer is do the podcast, okay? So if I'm going to treat the Chromebook as an actual computer, and for, for all intents and purposes now, I think they are. They're not thin clients anymore. Uh, you know, I got to be able to do a podcast. So I could kind of do that. Second thing I'd like to really be able to do is, yeah, I mean, word processing is important, but just about anything can do that. Uh, but the second thing I want to do is be able to run games and this does not, and not because of the horsepower of the, of the laptop itself, because of the software, it does not, it doesn't give me that what I was hoping for. It doesn't give me the experience that I wanted as far as, okay, I can play Android games and I can connect, you know, like I can connect a controller to, to the laptop and I will finally be able to really use a controller, play all of those classic platformers and all these other things that are available in the Google Play Store, but I can do it right where I'm not dealing with the touchscreen. Doesn't, does not work that way. Um, even like, like there's the more popular emulators. I tried playing some Super Nintendo games on there. It more or less forces you to use touch controls. It, it does not, like because of the way that that Android and Linux and everything else is being emulated within it. Like there, the interactivity that you need of, or the interconnectedness that you need of devices and of the operating system communicating within itself just isn't there. It's just not there. And, and that that's unfortunate. You wouldn't read that anywhere else. Like, and believe me, I tried to find those answers and, and I just don't see anybody else really talking about it. That's why I was, I think it's important to do this episode and to do this review um, you know, to really break it down, what can and what can't you do um, with the new functionalities that Chromebooks have? You know, that being with running Linux, honestly, also Windows apps and, uh, you know, in Android apps. But outside of gaming, the Android app use experience is pretty much great. I'm going to say great. Minus, you know, a couple of flubs here and there where, you know, you have to use the touchscreen. It's really great. And, and it's really handy. And it just shows how much I know, like MSI is supposedly going to release some kind of emulation layer software in their computers and laptops to where you can play Android games on it. I'm intrigued to see what that's going to end up looking like. Um, but effectively here's that. I mean, that's really all I have to have to say on it, you know, is that, yeah, you can do a lot of really cool things with, I mean, it's nice, especially like with Instagram. Say you wanted to run like an IG TV show, right? An Instagram TV show, uh, which that's the thing. If you didn't know, Say you wanted to do that, you know, you could take advantage of the, you know, the webcam that's built into it and you could have a very stable platform and you could even maybe get in some editing and all these other things of what you recorded and then upload it natively to Instagram. I mean, that's really nice. Yes, you can do that on some Windows 10 computers, too, but you, you know, you pay kind of a premium price for that privilege for the ability to do that um, because it's only the higher cost computers that will usually even have a touchscreen on them as to where, you know, this is becoming far more popular, even on lower end, even though this is more of a mid range uh, Chromebook, even on lower end Chromebooks, uh, that that's, that's really a thing. So, uh, you know, all that said, the, the point that I want, that I really want to drive, uh, drive home here is that a, we are not, uh, or at, at least it seems right now, 
we may still end up, you know, so my, all right, here, let me backpedal, not backpedal. Let me, let me, let me go back a little bit here. Um, my prediction for the future overall. Okay. First off, I am a uh, short-term pessimist, but a long-term optimist. I think that society as a whole on planet earth, the future it's looking at is what William Gibson would, you know, would call the sprawl. Okay. Where, you know, and it's a lot like your, you know, your Blade Runner-esque kind of future and so on. Um, I think that's in very much the way that we're going. And I think that there is a lot uh, being pointed in the direction. And I've talked about this in Sovereign Tech Prime episodes where, you know, you're really going to deal with where everything's kind of the cloud and there's a lot of interactivity and so on. We are not at that future yet. And I think that that future might be very far or might be a good distance off further off than what I think the tech giants originally hoped for and planned. While over the years, over the past few years, five years or so, as long as Sovereign Tech's been around, you know, it seemed like Google was really pushing toward this. Everything's going to connect to the cloud. You don't need a lot of, uh, you know, you, you don't need a lot of onboard storage on whatever device you have, laptop, smartphone, tablet, whatever. Okay. You don't need that. You don't need offline functionality. You don't need this and that. That has, they, the tech giants, have completely backpedaled on that. Because now, I mean, what's Apple Apple selling with the with the 10s and and so on? What do you isn't there like a 512 gig version of that? What the fuck? Who, the, you know? I mean, five years ago we would have said that's crazy, not because it's crazy to have that much storage in a phone, but because what do you store on the phone? Like, why are you storing shit on your on your phone? This is what's what's really interesting. I think, and 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 I I, I have a few different thoughts on this that I've never really necessarily talked about. Um. The creativity that people have been able to bring to life because of not what you can create on a mobile platform, but what, how how much stuff can get consumed on a mobile platform. The creativity that's possible right now due to the democratization of various tools, you know, editing tools and so on on computers and of cameras and whatever else. OK, um, like, look, the. Silicon Valley was and still is in a in a bubble. Okay, blockchain technology staved off that bubble from popping. I think about a year or two ago, and that's why they're all in on blockchain because it gives investors something to get excited about. It gives it it it, it you know it's a wealth creation tool. Okay, um, creativity, which is what Apple right? I mean, Apple has their own streaming service now with their own content and so on. Even though it's shitty, uh, you know, I mean, go down the list of the company that is be- that they're even the tech giants are effectively becoming entertainment companies, right? Okay, now they know that they have to provide the tools for people to be able to create in the first place. And with that in mind, we're really looking at a, a real backpedaling on this concept of. Everything's just connected online. Everything's cloud storage, blah, 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 blah. I think Google knows it. Google knows that for people to consume, but then also like to be inspired by that consumption to create themselves. And I and I hope, you know, that they they have to release devices that allow people to take advantage of all of the platforms consumption platforms and creation platforms that the mobile space is allowed. But they've they've got to allow it on a real environment that you can work on, that you can get shit done on. And that is a laptop slash desktop environment, not on a mobile phone. It's not going to work that way. Okay. Even Samsung knows this. That's why they have their Dex platform where, okay, well, you can plug in the phone and then use it like a desktop. 
Uh, I think Apple knows this in a very real way, and I think that's why Apple is. I think that's why they came out with the with the 10s Max. You know, they're coming out with six inch plus uh, uh, smartphones because they know that the iPhone is like that. That's their bread and butter. But you know, they got to make it to where people can actually interact with them more and and, and kind of do more with it. But so what's interesting is is that there's this realization I think that mobile. You know, I, I know that everybody thinks, oh, yeah, mobile's the future, and eventually we're, we're in a post-PC world. No, it actually seems like we're going the exact opposite direction, is that we're going back to at least the, you know, we're going back to the desktop environment. We're going back to the keyboard, you know, to the keyboard and mouse or the keyboard and, tra- and touchpad in a very real way. We're going back to all these things, and the companies, the tech giants themselves, are creating the platforms. I mean... This is going to be, you know, just looking ahead, I don't know what's going to end up happening on October 9th exactly, but there are so many leaks of, you know, these different, like like I say, the sequels to the Pixel book and so on. And you have, I mean, just like the, the balls to the wall implementation of Chromebooks being able to run Android apps, Linux apps, and so on, creation apps, right? The ability to create and to interact with the consumption platforms like Instagram, uh, and others, but in an environment where, you know, you can get work done and make even better content. Like they know that to survive, they have to, because I, I've said this many, t- you know, they, they have to create these platforms. They have to allow these platforms to exist. But point being is that the modern, all right, well, I'm all over the place here. Okay. Entertainment and art is the thing in the human condition that is infinitely scalable. Even though everything's a remix, the point is, is that everything can be a remix. Okay. Art is infinitely scalable. It is the thing that is not, and it's not. It's not the scarce resource. I mean, it can be scarce by what individual makes it, but art itself is not scarce. Okay. Because it's so subjective for one thing, but among other, you know, for other reasons. Yeah. I mean, it's technically scarce because, you know, there's only so much paint in the world and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. But you get my point. Okay, <laughs> is that is that you can you know, it's something that you can just infinitely remix, you know, uh, a lot of market categories can come and go and become stale and boring. And you can only go so far with, you know, when eventually let's just admit it that, you know, smartphones are just black slabs. Now, all of them are. There's nothing interesting going on there. Exactly. You know, I mean, and, and, and so on. Right. But art can just keep getting more and more interesting and can keep evolving and keep going up. And that's why I think the tech giants are into this I, or, you know, are so are buying into this so much. Um but it, it, you know, art is also wealth creation, right? And so, or it can be when done right. And not that it needs to be, you know, art is just when done right is really an expression of, for lack of a better term, the soul. Um, but it, you know, it can be something that is, that is wealth creating and they know this. And so, but they have to give you the tools to allow for that wealth creation to keep happening. So for Silicon Valley to stay afloat itself, it knows it has, this is an avenue just like it's, it's, you know, digging into blockchain. It needs to dig into art and it needs to make it possible to create great art and so on. And so I think it's interesting that now, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a complete reversal. We're not going post PC. We're, you know, bigger hard drives are being put into these devices, not smaller ones. Offline functionality is being baked into almost every app, even Google's own apps. And that's been going on for a few years now um, to where, OK, we're not good. Everything's not going to be interconnected. And they're finally saying, look, you know, if, if you really need to do shit, you can't do it on a smartphone. We've got to give people the tools, you know, a.k.a. a Chromebook that can run Android apps and, and Linux apps and so on to where they can create and they can develop and they can do all of that. So there's a very real reversal right now on what I think was the original trajectory of Silicon Valley 
And and I think that it points at that Silicon Valley is, was and is wrong on how we like to interact, how we like to consume, and so on. I, re- I really think that they, you know, the Piper's getting paid and they're realizing that the future they wanted just doesn't sit right with people. It, does, it doesn't feel right enough. And, and it actually, I mean, it's antithetical to, to, to human flourishing. This whole idea of everything connecting to one big cloud, this whole idea of everything being mobile and everything, uh, you know, being on a, on a five-inch screen and so on. Like, I, I mean, it's just that that's not how this is going to work. You know, that's not what allows for greatness. And the human condition is about greatness. I know that that's kind of deeply philosophical to to get into on a Chromebook review, but it's there. This is a complete the my use of this Chromebook, even though I ran into some issues with what I wanted to do, I realize it's early days for Android app functionality and for Linux app functionality. I realize that it's early days and it's probably going to evolve even more. But the main thing that it tells me is that Google knows it was wrong. It is it, I mean it it's pretty much like <sighs> You know, it's rekindling the PC revolution in, in a very real way. We are not in a post-PC world. That's not happening. And honestly, I would argue that to allow humans to create and to do what we do best, art is what we do. The post-PC revolution can't happen, or the post-PC world can't exist for that to be a thing. And when you can see that even in things that are sub $300, that that point is being made, and I think it is, well, that's why I'm only a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. Because in the long term, you know, us having control of what we do and being able to create and not just being consumption machines walking around with our little screens and staring into them and so on, that our innate drive as humans, you know, we'll, we'll fight that shit off. And good. Fucking good. So, yeah, um, do I recommend this Chromebook? Depends on what you need to do. If you're not a podcaster, I mean, honestly, if, you just, if you're just like somebody that uses a word processor for your work or something like that and you need that for a daily driver, you can fucking use anything, right? Hell, I mean, even then, you know, you could use a smartphone and just, you know, connect a Bluetooth keyboard to it and go to town. Um, I think that for, for the everyday person, I think it's a totally fine buy. Um, for the more tech savvy and someone that's willing to be a little patient with where I think that this platform is going, um, this is a, or where this operating system is going, uh, where Chromebooks are going in general. I think that this is a very, very, um, you know, again, a very secure platform, uh, not necessarily private, but secure, even though those are kiss and cousins. Um, this is a very secure platform and it's a very interesting thing to have as maybe a travel PC. I think it's certainly worthwhile for that. Um, I think it's, I think Chrome, Chrome OS has come a very long way. Um, and there's a lot of really nice things about it. Like, I mean, I feel like Google's old that they used to have their old, don't be evil and be user friendly and be developer friendly attitude really shines on this. And, and I, you know, I got to give them credit for that. Um, I mean, it, it really, it is a nice experience overall uh, to use these things far nicer than windows. And look, you know, the, the windows 10, the October update came out, right? Um, I mean, if you wanted to just jump ship, and just say, you know, I'm just done with Microsoft's bullshit and all their changes and what they're doing and everything. I just want to get out of it. Uh, this is a this is an intriguing platform to jump ship to. 
to say nothing of the fact, we might find out in the next Google event that, because uh, they're talking about Campfire, which I think we talked about on the Sovereign Tech Prime episode, where Chromebooks could dual boot into Windows. You know, then Chromebooks become even more interesting, right? Um, but of course, you know, to use Windows, you're going to need something that has more than 32 gig of storage, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I think overall, what ex, you know, again, is it a buy? This is a very nice computer. I think it is a totally fine computer for for two hundred and sixty bucks. If you can get it for that or something, like do it. You, you know, like that. And 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 what, everything I described to you is enough to be able to do. Do it because it's a beautiful little machine for what it is. I mean, it really, really is. Um, if you're a power user of any kind, it's not exactly there yet. Like there's there's still a couple of really just flunky things that that are going to annoy you in your workflow. And if you're like me, where you're kind of always working, you know, you can't, <laughs> you can't have that. Like, like processes have to be efficient. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, maybe, or if you want to get into a pixel book, that would solve a lot of these problems because pixel books have huge hard drives in them or larger hard drives in them and that, you know, but wait for the new ones. But, um, but that would, you know, that would solve a lot of my concerns. And also they have, you know, they'll have like core I fives or even core I sevens in them. I mean, that's where things get really interesting. Uh, so if you had a high, a really high end machine, I think that a lot of what I described as negatives could really be resolved, could really be mitigated. Uh, so that's something to consider when you're when you're going for this as well. Um, I am I am pleased to see where Chrome OS has gone. I am pleased to see the way I mean, the way that everything, you know, having all those apps, but still doing it securely where everything's sandboxed. That's the right move. Um, you know, having at least having the I mean, because if the average person doesn't want to use it, they don't have to. And it doesn't get in their way unless they turn it on. All of that is great. I, I think that that's all a very good thing. Um, so, you know, for what it is, again, don't expect privacy, but for what it is, I think it's phenomenal. I, I, I think it's a really, really impressive uh, option out there. Uh, and, you know, as far as like a web browsing experience where you want that to be secure. Yeah. I mean, you know, grandma's never going to use dark Android shit, right? I mean, she's just not. But a Chromebook? Oh, yeah, that's very, very interesting, you know, for her to use. And I think that that allows for a lot of options. And I mean, because she's she's probably using a smartphone. And I think that this. Yeah, I, I like where this is where this is going, even though fuck Google. And, you know, if you're a power user, fuck Chromebooks. I mean, we're they're just not there. <laughs> OK, <laughs> uh, but I do love what this is saying. You know, it's saying to me that, no, we're not in a post PC world and we still need control. We still need offline functionality, you know, with our devices. Uh, and that's that's a hopeful thing for me. So anyway, that's it. I, I went over well over an hour here. I did not expect to talk about a Chromebook that long. We'll wrap this up. And uh, thank you to uh, to the Sovereign Tech listener that went through my wish list and provided this Chromebook for me. Uh, I'm really honored by that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to you know use it continually and, and, and keep an eye on the platform. It's really handy for that. Uh, and it's great for travel. So anyway, I will see all of you whoo, on the other side. So much more to come out in October, baby. You know what? I got it. I'll see you on the other side. <laughs>